Say amen again, church. Amen. You know that the Redeemer that you have claimed lives today. If you don't, let me be the first to tell you again that he's alive and well. He has not fallen asleep at the switch. He knows exactly what's going on in our world. And even as we speak this morning, he holds this world in the palm of his hand. The only reason we haven't annihilated ourselves is because he's in charge. Whatever we're doing to each other today would be a hundred times worse if the Lord wasn't alive and well. Yeah. He alone is keeping us and sustaining us even in times of difficulty. And even when we look at what's going on in the world today, this is nothing new to us. History just repeats itself. People have been doing what we're doing today for a long time, it's just getting worse and worse. Because the scriptures tell us that when the, when the devilish satanic forces that are, are, are active in this world get moving, they continue until they just uh, destroy nations. But that only happens when we stop listening to God. Romans 1, if you don't know this by now, learn it today. Romans chapter 1 reveals to us what happens to people when they don't want to know God anymore. Just read that chapter. People who start out doing well and then some point along the way get tired of God. And start doing their own thing because they think they're smarter than anybody else. Keep reading. Don't stop the tape halfway through. Keep listening to the tape until it's over. And what you find out is those people end up destroying themselves. Because they have no conscience of God. Oh, we among all people in this world ought to be able to sing and shout. And thank God that he is indeed alive. Yeah. And that he still operates on our behalf. It's good to see you today. It's good to see you. I know that hearts uh, are broken over some of the things that we're experiencing. The mass killings. The reluctance of our political leaders to do anything about gun control the disinterest in those who are different from us or from a different place than us, even though, as I've told you before, not one of us chose where we were going to be born or who our parents would be, whether we would be born into riches or poverty. We had no say-so. We just came into this world and assumed the place that God has assigned us. Now, I don't know about you, but in this day and age when we've been through a civil rights movement before in our world, and it seems like we're getting to be there again, you better than anybody else ought to be jubilant in that God has taught us that we are worthy. We are worthy. So don't you second guess yourself about who you are and how God has blessed you 
because other folk have problems with who you are. Stand firm. Be Christ-like. But you don't have to stand for anything that people try to put on us to make us feel like we are less than. We've been through that so often in our lives that I think sometimes it just doesn't affect us anymore. It's already affected us probably as much as it could. But I don't want you to forget today that God is in charge. Not the authorities. He, they, they, they rule as long as God allows it. And just as surely as he allows it, there will come a time when he will disallow it. And those who've done evil in his sight will get what they deserve. Now that's what we're, uh, that's what we're here to talk about today. Our relationship with the God that we claim. Our relationship as the church to the God that we claim. And we want to do this in the context of the book of Acts because we know that our young people are still competing in the Bible Bowl in the book of Acts and we felt it would be a good thing to have the whole church looking at the book of Acts. There is no more important in book, book in the scriptures than the book of Acts. I'm thoroughly confused at the number of people I talk to who are in the world out there who think that they're doing God's will and has, have never read this, have never paid any attention to, have just followed what people told them along the way. Some people who are following other people blindly and don't know what the Lord has left for us in the word of God. There is a church that Jesus built and there are churches that men established. The only problem is that God has never given a man the right to establish a church because the price of a church is blood. The price of a church is not a bank loan in the amount of such and such because this is not the church. This is simply the place where the church convenes. This is the place where the church meets and whether we meet in here or over in the field, we'll still the church because the church is the body of Christ. It's not bricks and mortar. It's the body of Christ. And that's what we are as individual members. Now, here's the good part. God has, through his infinite wisdom, determined who will be in the body. Those whose minds have been opened and receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just as simple as that. It's not about where you work. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about where you live. It's not about what you have in the bank. It's not about what your job is in this world. We all stand before God as individuals. And if we're going to be in the body of Christ, we all have to do the same thing. We first got to hear how Jesus died and how he suffered, how he was buried in the heart of the earth and got up the third day so that we could have a right to the tree of life. Jesus was already saved before he came. Jesus had no need to be saved. But we had the need. And the Bible says God sent Jesus to be the sacrifice that we could never be. Because we're broken. And we're scarred. And we're sinful. And in order for God to forgive us, he had to send a perfect lamb 
whose blood could be shed so that we could receive redemption through his blood. That's what has been done, and that's how we become members of the body of Christ. Don't let folk tell you out there today all this twistical and mystical stuff. You got to go out and have a dream. You got to see a shooting star. You got a dream that you walked over hell on a spiderweb. You've got to see something extraordinary to be in the church. That's malarkey. That's what that is. It makes no sense, and it has no biblical foundation. Okay? So now what we want to do is look at what the early church did as it grew. The Lord built this church, and he, he, he instilled in it a spirit Every one of us, we've learned in studying the book of Acts, everyone who names the name of Christ, everyone who is baptized, everyone who repents and is baptized, I should say, would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So every one of us who's a member of the body of Christ has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a piece of the Holy Spirit living in you. And it's an individual. It's not a thing. It's an individual who influences your decisions. God, in his wisdom, instilled in us a spirit that we must have and must listen to in order for the church to do well. When we don't do well as a church, it's simply because often we're not following the direction of the spirit. We've left the spirit alone and we've determined that we know what to do better than the spirit does. Yeah. And just as soon as we get on that track, it's not long before we find out that we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. That's why if we knew what we were doing, God wouldn't have had to give us the spirit. But because we don't know, he gave us the spirit and that spirit lives in us. And with every decision we make, the spirit is active in that decision. I told you last week, sometimes it tells you, turn around. Sometimes it tells you, stop. Sometimes it tells you, run. Sometimes it tells you, be quiet. Sometimes it tells you to speak up. And it's because we turn a deaf ear to those directions at times that we end up where we are. We wonder why we keep pressing on the accelerator and the tires just keep spinning. We ain't going nowhere. Some people get thrilled out of just hearing the motor rev up. But they ain't going nowhere. And that's what a church is like that is pressing on this spiritual accelerator and going nowhere because we don't have it in gear. And to put it in gear is to listen to the urgings of the Holy Spirit operating up here. Now let me show you how the Spirit was working in Acts chapter 13, which is where we are now in our study. The church has, has, has started in Acts chapter 2. There's a problem if you think you're in the church and you don't know Acts chapter 2. Because it's Acts chapter 2 that shows you how to get into the church. If you have no knowledge of it, then how can you have done what it takes to get into the church? So those who were members of the body, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says 3,000 were added to the body of Christ on that day. 
that that 3,000 quickly grew to 5,000 because the people in Jerusalem were being overtaken by those Christians who were full of new joy because they had found salvation in Christ Jesus. They were telling everybody about it everywhere they went. They were on fire for the Lord and people seeing that followed them. And many who were taught believed. But as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, it's no, it, it, it's, it's no surprise that wherever the word of God is being preached and wherever the, the spirit is active, the devil is always there. You keep wondering why you think you're going to get something that's going to make you happy, and then once you get it, you're just as sad as you were before you got it. The novelty of it may last two or three days, and then it wears off. And that's because really those things are not the answer to the, to the problems we experience. It's us following the guidance of the Spirit. And if as Christians we don't want to follow the guidance of the Spirit, then what are we doing? What game are we playing? Jesus said, I'd prefer that you just be hot or cold. If you don't want to do this, I'm not going to make you do it. Have your way. Do it your way. Have your way and die as someone who can say, I did it my way. And I'm going to that place where folk who did it their way go. That's all. God gives us that choice. He says, I just wish that you were one or the other. Stop playing these games. Hot one day, cold the next. The next day you're lukewarm. He says, you make me sick. God can deal better with us if we throw our hands up and say, this is not for me than somebody who wants to dip in one day and dip out the other. Dip in one day and dip out the other. Sounds like you playing hopscotch or jump rope. You know, you know you to jump in and jump a little while and then when you get tired, you jump out. And then when you get ready again, you just, that's the way some folk deal with church. Well, God doesn't accept that. And here's what he does accept. He accepts those who are willing to be guided by his spirit. Otherwise, he's given you the spirit in vain. A helper. Who doesn't want a helper? Lord have mercy. We call each other many times because we need help, right? When you reach a point and you need somebody to call on, isn't it wonderful to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I need you? Well, the Spirit of God is always on call. We can call him up no matter what's going on. Even if we've if we've been blessed above measure, the spirit is that force in your mind which helps you to remain humble even though you've been blessed. Because a lot of folks, when they get blessed, they get swollen. See, and a lot of us have been blessed in a lot of different ways. We got a good job, we making good money, we riding good, we living good, we sleeping good, we got all the medication we need depending on what we need, we got something to put us to sleep, got something to wake us up, 
got something to keep us dealing during the day, smooth, leveled out. Whatever we want, we got it. And we get so comfortable with that that we forget that God still holds us responsible. Now, let me get to the lesson. Start in verse. That was the preface. Here's what I want to say to you, and I'm going to do this just as quickly as I can without running through it with no aim here. In, in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, the Bible reveals to us the first missionary journey. And I just want to go through and highlight some things and then give us some things that we can use as a result of Acts 13 in our evangelistic efforts. Because that is the mission of the church. No matter what else we do, we exist to save souls to teach people the truth of God's word. And the fact that we can remain quiet during statements like that is evidence that we've gotten beyond that in our mind. We're not excited about saving folk anymore. You know, I don't know what you think when I say stuff like that. Hey, you must be, well, that's the preacher's job. Well, that's the elder's job or the deacon's job. Or that's the brother's job, not the sister's. But something, when I say to you that the, the mission of the church at Roosevelt City is to save souls, yeah. the church ought to say amen. Yeah. And to the fact that we don't, a lot of folks sitting here don't believe that. I don't know why you think you're here, but a lot of folks don't believe that. They're like, let them find it like I found it. I found it the hard way. And if their folk wasn't in the body, tough on them. Too bad for them. Well, that's not the scripture's view of what our responsibility is. No matter what you do, no matter how important you are, no matter how busy you are, the Lord is going to judge you and me based on our willingness to share the gospel, which can save the soul. Wow, we're so busy spending and going and here and there. The most important thing we have is a soul. And I'm afraid that that's going to hit people when it's too late. When it's too late. And if it does, then we're in the hands of a just God. Now, God opened in this chapter multiple doors for Barnabas and Saul and others in Antioch and Iconian, and Lystra, and Derby and Colossae, and Corinth. He opened doors for them in Crete, and in Philadelphia, and in Rome, because the Holy Spirit was not satisfied with them staying in around Jerusalem. That's where the church had started. And of course, that's where all the excitement was, and that's where most people wanted to be, where the excitement was, but the Spirit was not satisfied with that. Sometimes you have to go away from home to be better received. Sometimes you have to get away from the folk who know you best. The ones who remind you that they rocked you on their knee. The ones who remind you that they changed your diapers. Oh, run from them. Because they get ready to tell you something. You little rascal you. I remember when I used to change your diapers. 
And so who do you think you are telling me about my salvation? That's what comes after that. And the Spirit in his wisdom led the apostles and uh, several of them to do something outside of Jerusalem. Get away from home where the people are trying to kill you. Now that doesn't mean that others won't try, but get away from home. Try a new venture. And thus we have the beginning of the first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. And here's what happens in Acts chapter 13. In God's way, it is better for two or more people to evangelize than one. One person alone can really get tired of it. Two heads are always better than one. The devil is always working against you. So when he got ready to call out a couple of men to do this mission of the first missionary journey, he called Barnabas. The Bible says the spirit separated. Told the prophets to tell them that he's separating Barnabas and Saul to go on this first missionary journey. Now, somebody asked you, told you, we're gonna go and, and, and we're gonna go halfway around the world. We're gonna go to Rome and we're gonna go to Athens. We're gonna go to Greece, you know, and, and we're gonna be on a, a cruise boat. A lot of folk would sign up for that trip. <laughs> Until you say, well, why are we there? We're gonna teach people the word of God. Because that's why we're going. We're not going to look at the palm trees and the water. We're going to take people the gospel and teach them the truth. So everybody wasn't jumping up and down to go, and the Holy Spirit said it so that everybody wouldn't have to. It didn't ask for volunteers on this trip. The Bible says the Spirit set aside, set apart these two individuals, Barnabas, and Saul to go and teach the word throughout uh, the, the then known world. And you know, that map that you had on your questions in the Vacation Bible School would help you with chapter 13. Yeah. Because you can follow their travels from one place to the other. But here's what, here's a capsulized view of what happened. You'll notice that from verses two and three on, Barnabas was mentioned as the chief person. It was Barnabas and Saul. And then when you get to around verse 9, where Saul has, has, has put this sorcerer, Elamus, in his place and blinded him, that now the scriptures start talking about Paul and Barnabas. So here's some things that we pick up. During the travels of these two men, Paul, rather than Barnabas, becomes the chief spokesman with no complaint from Barnabas. Now, you know something. That's, that's unusual there. We go out together, Brother Holcomb, and I'm the chief spokesperson, but at a certain juncture in our travels, the Lord fills me with the Holy Ghost so that I can withstand a sorcerer who's trying to interfere with the preaching of the gospel. And now everybody's saying, well, that's Paul and Barnabas rather than Barnabas and Saul. Some speculate that that's why John Mark, who was kin to Barnabas, left and went back home. 
Because the leadership changed. Mm. There's some preaching in there somewhere. I have to come back to that. But in those days, nearly all Jews had two names. One was a Jewish name that they used when they were in Jewish circles. And the other was a Greek name or a Gentile name that they used out in the wider world. You know what we're talking about. You know what I'm saying? They, uh, your name may be Elijah, but they call you Pookie. <laughs> when you go back to the home folk, they call you Pookie. But when you get with folk who matter, then you don't want them call. I've heard some people, don't, man, don't call me by my nickname. You know, I work with all these important folk. Don't come here talking about Pookie. <laughs> call me by my right name. But here is, 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 is Paul and Barnabas guided by the Holy Spirit. Don't forget. Yeah. These are not things they're coming up with on their own. The Holy Spirit is leading Paul or Saul to say, wait a minute now. Since you're getting ready to take the gospel to the Gentiles, you need to have a Gentile name. It would be better. So Saul stopped using his Jewish name and started using his Gentile name, which was Paul. And then it goes from Barnabas and Saul to Paul and Barnabas. Oh, the Spirit will have his way. So, the Holy Spirit guided their trip. Listen now. Listen. The Holy Spirit guided their trip, sending them to Seleucia and on to Cyprus. And John Mark was with them. As they taught the word of God from place to place, they met with resistance. Don't be surprised, folks, that when you teach the word of God, people don't jump up and be, they're not glad to hear the truth. Most folk are not happy to hear the truth. The truth hurts. It stings. Especially when you've been doing something else all your life that you thought was right. Give people a break. Don't tell people the cold truth and expect them to accept it. Thank you. Oh, you'll have some who will, but most don't want to see you no more. And the Bible teaches us that if you keep on talking that, some folk will start looking for some bricks, as they did with the apostles, and stone them or threaten to stone them if they kept talking about it. So that's how difficult this is in terms of preaching the word of God. So here they are, and they have young John Mark with them, taking him long to let him see what it's like to go out there and preach the word. The Holy Spirit is guiding their trip, and it's taking them from place to place. And as they taught the word of God from place to place, they met with resistance. Out of it came good, though. Whenever it seems like the devil has won, don't give up yet. The story is not over. It's just not over yet. You may be in the middle of it. It's not over yet. Because there is no scenario in the scriptures where the devil starts something with God and wins. I dare you to find it. God will let him have his way for a little while. He'll let him grieve us for a little while. But in the final analysis, he'll show up and does what God always does. 
So now, here they are in the city of Paphos. Now, they're on the island of Cyprus. And there are plenty of cities there. Cyprus was a place where they, they were known for copper, manufacturing copper. And they had a lot of commerce going on. And some say that they were famous because they had an atmosphere that you would love to live in. It was a happy place. You would think that that's where Paul and Barnabas went. Paul said, no, no, we're not going to the happy place. We're not going to Hawaii to do this. You notice there's not a whole lot of mission trips to Hawaii. Yeah, I'm all over the world, but you don't hear nobody say, we're going, we're moving to Hawaii to do missions. Get over there and see them pretty beaches and them pretty women and men and forget about missions. They come as Hawaiian. <laughs> but, but, but look, look, here they are in Cyprus. And while they're there, they travel to a place called Paphos, which was infamous for its worship of Venus, who is the goddess of love. So here they are walking up into Paphos in a place where the folk there worship the goddess of love. So they, anything immoral, they do it. And it's by law. It's out in the open. Everybody is in agreement with you. If you want a good time, Here's where you go. And it's all right because the goddess Venus approves this. Bring your money with you. Mm -hmm. Bring your money with you. And you can have a good time, a choice. The choice is yours. That's a worldly city. And that's where Paul and Barnabas went right up in there. Not only there, but they traveled to the plateau where Antioch in Pisidia stood, which is considered one of the hardest and most dangerous roads in the world. Yeah. I don't know about you, but if I was a young John Mark, I'd be asking, why we got to go on the most dangerous road in the world? <laughs> to preach the gospel to somebody. But Paul was serious about this thing. And he was taking it where it was needed. They focused on those who wanted to hear the word, not those who didn't. And I know they did because when they were threatened, they left and went somewhere else. They didn't stay there and try to teach people who didn't want to be taught. And we need to learn that, folks. Stop wasting your time on folks who don't want to be taught. If they let you know that, then move on. The Lord told the 70, shake the dust off your feet. Don't even show signs that you were in the city if they don't want to hear about me. And it's the same way today. But we, for some reason, have more fun chasing, trying to make somebody want what they've told us they don't want, rather than the three or four who are ready to receive it gladly. We need to find that one or two who are ready to receive it gladly. And teach it to them. Now, I know you're getting tired, but I'm almost where I need to be. Hang in there. Hang in there. So, look, what do we get from this? Now, the Bible says they went on and they met the proconsul or, or the proconsul or the governor of the region, whose name was Sergius Paulus. 
He was an intelligent man, the Bible says, and he requested an audience with Paul and Barnabas because he wanted to know what this thing was that people were raving about. Yeah. I want to know. I'm an intelligent man. Let him present it to me. I can figure it out. And when he was getting ready to go, and they were getting ready to go after he had summoned them, you had somebody over here on the sideline who was working for the government. See, because remember, these are superstitious times. So everybody in power had a right-hand person who was a magi or a very, the, the name Elamus means skillful one, a sorcerer. You ever been confused by a sorcery? I mean, seriously. Have you ever seen somebody do something that was so incredible that you thought it was real? Have you ever seen somebody do magic? You know, and I've looked at some of the shows, and I've looked at, uh, I've watched America's Got Talent, and I've seen magicians on there who take cards and make coins and coins and make cards and whatever. And you can't see anything. It's like, Lord, how is he doing that? It looks real, but you know that it's fake. And what bothers you is that you can't catch up with it. You know, the shell game. They start moving up. They move those shells real soft before you put your money down. Real slow. Let you see where it is. You know, but when you put that $20 down the bed, then they start going like this. Mm -hmm. And your eyes can't keep up, and you end up losing money. People have lost hundreds and thousands of dollars because they cannot believe what's happening. I gotta be able to catch this. Well, here's here's Sergius Paulus' right hand man, who is a sorcerer. And the sorcerer, when he found out that his job was in jeopardy, see, cause he getting he making good money, working with the main man, getting plenty of work, and here comes Paul and and Barnabas getting ready to to take his job. So the Bible says he withstood them. He, they didn't say what he did to withstand them, but he intervened in some way. Yeah. He got in between the teaching of the gospel and the, and the prospect. And that's always a bad place to be with God. Don't get between the message and the prospect. Because God ain't hesitant to move you out of the way. Be careful who you make important in your work. If you make your children more important than God, he's not beyond moving them out of the way so that you can see him better. You better be careful about falling in love with somebody other than God because if you end up putting them between you and God, he's not beyond moving them out of the way so you can have a clear line of vision to him. Mm. You're going to get this out. The Bible says Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, caused him to be blind for a while. Just struck him blind right there. Through the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't do it. The Holy Spirit did it through Paul. The Bible says he was so haughty in what he's talking about. You know, the Lord has a way of humbling you. And it seems that blindness is one of the things that he used all. You remember when Saul was called. He blinded him going into Damascus to hurt somebody 
and now somebody got to tell you when you in Damascus because you can't see. Same thing here with illness. He wants to do something wrong. And the Bible says immediately after Paul laid his eyes on him, the Bible says he looked at him intently. You know what an intent look is? That's one of those looks that I ain't planning. I'm ready to do something to you kind of look. He was not smiling. The Bible says he looked at him the way mama looks at you. When you about a minute from a beat down, you know the look. And the Bible says he said some words to him because he had identified that he was a son of the devil. Only the devil was standing in the way of you trying to teach the word to somebody else. And it's so important to God that God will strike you blind for doing it. Now, what, what's the message for a man alive? I got another 30 minutes worth, and I got to cram that into 10 minutes. Let me, let me give you something. Let me give you this. Let me give you this. What are the lessons that we learn from this missionary journey, which, which takes us to places in our mind that we've never visited? And probably will never visit. The only thing that matters is there were people there who needed to hear the word. What can we learn from this in our evangelistic effort? Because we're trying to get every member of the body to be included in the evangelistic efforts. God puts you here and he gave you a talent. You are held responsible. No matter when you became a member of the church, no matter how long you've been a member, you think you've worked your, all your work? No, no, no. God doesn't have a retirement plan. He just doesn't. You get 70 and now you can lay back because you retired from your job. Now you can retire from the church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just remind you. Okay, let me say this right quick. There are many different doors open to the same person. And there are doors that are open only to certain ones. The Lord has equipped us with the talents and gifts that we need to respond to certain situations. Not all situations. There are some things you are not equipped to do and there are some things that you are equipped to do that others are not equipped to do. See, we got to understand and accept all of this before we can evangelize effectively. The son of encouragement and consolation, Barnabas, spoken of in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, had a different set of skills than the sons of thunder. But they were all children of God. They were apostles. That's in Mark chapter 3, verse 17. Just some personal experiences. Have you ever noticed that several people can intervene in a situation and there will be no resolve and then one other person intervenes and the person responds? Have you ever told somebody something 18 times and they say no? And one person come by and tell them the same thing out of their mouth and they say, oh yeah, I got that. That's because you didn't have what they needed. 
You had the wives, but you weren't the right person. You're the right person, but you don't have the words. Somebody has the words that you need to hear. God has placed in somebody's mouth the words you need to hear. And maybe you're not hearing them because you're too busy avoiding those people. Because you don't like them. It's not above God to put what you need to hear in the mouth of somebody you don't care for. Everybody is not responsible for walking through the same doors. The Lord has some doors for you, and he has some for me. We must not become, we, we, we have to look for the doors that are for us and start worrying about the ones that are for somebody else. Everybody's responsible for walking through some doors, but you need to identify the ones that are for you. Also, we must not become satisfied after we have responded to one open door. We get like that sometimes. We do something, and it's real good, and so we don't want to do nothing but that. Sometimes we are so satisfied with what we're doing that we think the Lord has only one thing for us to do. Well, that's not the only thing we can do well. There are other things we can do well, and we just need to do them. This is called evangelistic multitasking. All open doors don't require the same action or solution. Some are designed to facilitate the, the planting of the seed, and some are designed to facilitate the watering of the seed. Everybody can't do those, both. There's someone to, to reach the poor and the rich. There's someone God has in store to reach the powerful and the powerless the educated and the uneducated, the quick and the slow. Everybody can't deal with all of these, but there are some who can because God has equipped them with the ability to respond to multiple situations. We need to identify which ones are ours and which ones are not as we pick our places. I told you before that the church has three groups of people in it, and we need to identify ourselves as to which one we are. They are bringers, they are teachers, and they are keepers. You need to identify which one of those you are. If you're neither of them, then which one of them would you like to be? Somebody who can bring folk, but you can't teach them, and that's all right. Bring them. Can you teach them? And if you can't, then we got something planned for you, whereby you're going to learn how to teach somebody the word of God, the same word you accept. And I'm going to leave that right there for today. I, I, I know... Uh, there is plenty more that could be said, and I'll just wait and let that uh, happen tonight as the Lord wills. But I want to say this to you. The Roosevelt City Church, Roosevelt City is an open door for this church. Just like the Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas to Seleucia and Cyprus and Paphos, Greece, Rome, the Lord has set us here. And this city is our open door. We need to walk through it and take it. Now remember that when we talk about taking it, we're not talking about us doing it. We're talking about following the guidance of the Spirit to take it. To take it. I don't know what it'll take. But I remember a time when the folk didn't know what it would take. 
And Joshua told them, we're going to march around the walls seven times. Yeah. <laughs> he said, this is how we're going to take it. For those who didn't want to buy in, they said, we don't see how we're going to go down there and face all the people. We ain't got no people up here. The, the, the spies have gone down and told us things ain't right. We can't take this city over here. We can't take that one over there. We don't know what we're going to do. And the Bible says that the Lord sent the message to the man of God. Tell the folks to get a lantern and a horn. And that's it. God works like that. Sometimes he'll tell you to do some things in your family that sound crazy to you. It may be sit down and be quiet when you think you ought to be teaching somebody. But God told him, just tell the folks to line up around the city. Tell them to just surround the wall. See, it's all about obedience. You don't have to understand. It's about obedience. Tell them to just line up and encompass the city one by one. Just stand there until we tell you what to do. And when we tell you what to do, we want you to blow your horn and we want you to light your lantern. Sometimes we're using the wrong weapons to fight our wars. That's why people buying up these guns and things, because they think that's what it's all about. But what's going to win this war? Our spiritual weapons. Love has to be used against hate. Tolerance has to be used. Stop preaching and start knitting. 